Good evening and welcome to another episode of the ELB Stat Attack, I think that's its name, um, until you hear otherwise. You can hear I'm hosting this evening, I'm Phil, I'm joined today by, as usual, Ant, and we are being graced by the presence of Alex too. Ant, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And yourself, Phil? I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good, thanks. I'm excited for the World Cup, I think everyone's starting to talk about it just a bit more very with all the squads being announced. And uh, that's oh. what we're also going to speak about this evening, coincidentally. Yeah, no, I think the excitement is very much building. I mean, the activity on the Facebook group, for example, has just been buzzing, um, particularly in the last week. And I think this job, people are very excited for this to be around the corner. I mean, the super sport advertising has certainly ramped up a lot. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just, it's an exciting time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Alex, welcome. Always Hello. happy to have you joining us. Thank you very much. It's always an honor. Um, I've been pretty quiet on the main podcast, so um, sorry. Actually, this is the main podcast. I've been pretty yeah, quiet on the does, on the, the side the side project we do on, on weekends. Um, but, does that does that mean you've switched allegiance and you, uh, you this uh, is your number one? I think That's it's it's certainly number yeah. one in my heart. Yeah, not not necessarily oh, we'll in terms of and in, in terms of recent weeks, in terms of my effort as well. Exactly. We'll to commit half an hour on a Wednesday night than two hours on a Sunday. Uh, lately, that has been the case. Yeah, uh, for whatever reason. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Okay. So as I mentioned tonight, we're going to talk, be talking around some of the squad selections, and we're going to focus on New Zealand, South Africa, and a bit on Australia too. All three of those teams have finalised their 31-man squads, and we're going to be talking about cap retention and how each of the squads have been building up to the World Cup and looking at the starting number of caps and how they've been playing in the last, well, we'll take the World Cup cycle, so pretty much from 2016 onwards until the most recent games. Um, and seeing the difference in the preparation for all three teams. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think like this time of year, we've spent well this this time of the World Cup cycle. You know, we've spent so long over the years debating about who's going to be here, um, and it, kind of at every point, I think most coaches will kind of tell you that they wouldn't be selecting a player if they didn't think that they had the potential to, you know, one day make it into the squad. So it's interesting to see to look back on it in hindsight now and see how kind of accurate those selections were. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I suppose as we we'll, as we go through it, it'll pick up, but there's, the squad naturally changes very, very much so over a four-year period. Um, in South Africa's uh, instance, there was extenuating circumstances as to why certain players fell significantly by the wayside. Um, you do have your natural retirements, but Players that kind of play their way in and out of the squad based on their form over the years is also interesting to track. Like, you'll look back at a couple of players and kind of forget <laughs> who they were or how they even got there, mm. um, which right. is interesting to see as well. And also, I suppose, the propensity of, of which squads have more of those types of players. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, two big events which we can sort of highlight as being quite important factors are, obviously, for South Africa, a changing coach moving from Alistair Katia to Rassi Erasmus. Um, and then also the Lions Tour for New Zealand. Uh, having the Lions Tour halfway in a World Cup cycle gives you another goal to sort of work towards instead of the normal four-year cycle. But saying that, I guess, even if you don't have those milestones, 
the first two years of a cycle will be a bit more experimental in any case, and then you'll build towards settling down in the final two just before the World Cup. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, in other words, what we're saying is I don't think we expect like massive variation uh, between the three squads. I mean, probably a little bit more in South Africa because of the changing coach, but certainly Australia and New Zealand to be broadly quite similar. Yeah, definitely. That would be a big case. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, um, I'll just say at this point, so we, we're quite, um, we're, we're utilizing some infographics which were published on Twitter by uh, a guy called Russ Petty. So if you don't follow Russ Petty, go follow him. He posts some good rugby stat stuff. It's at rpetty80. Um, I know Alex, you're on Twitter, so you also tweet quite a lot of rugby content. So if you don't follow Alex, make sure you go <laughs> and follow him too. I mean, and you can if you want. On Twitter, but... I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm technically on Twitter, but I think the last time I logged in was a couple of years ago, so I don't think I'm worth a follow. Um, that being said, <laughs> also seems to be quite a sharer. Um, he was releasing some very interesting Curry Cup stats today. Um, so if you are one of the people that do care about the Curry Cup, as one should, um, there's some interesting insights to be gained there. Hmm. Yeah, and you can be one of my like ten followers. So <laughs> it's a pretty yeah, it's pretty exclusive. <laughs> um, All the content. If you're is keen premium, on Dota, premium content, if you're keen on Dota stuff, I think Alex is also a goldmine in that. Uh, so. <laughs> I've, I've been trying, but like every time I try and tweet something about Dota, then because like all my followers are, are like rugby related or like, <laughs> or, like politics yeah, or current affairs, not... and like I try and tweet stuff about Dota, and then everyone's like, "Dude, what are you fucking talking about?" The Venn diagrams don't like correlate so much, I guess. Uh, yeah, you'd think you'd think they would, um, but apparently not. I'm working on it though. Okay, all right. Let's start on the South African squad, guys, uh, closest to our hearts, presumably. Um, and I think we can go through quite quickly, just position by position, and looking who's been getting the starts, who's sort of been wasted over the four years, and if there are any concerns in any of the positions. So let's start at Loosehead. I think Loosehead is pretty clear in terms of the squad. We have Beast and Kitshaw. Um, and there haven't really been many challenges over this period at all. So they've been pretty steady. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... Pretty much. I think the only, the only thing that was yeah, ever going to have... knock them out was going to be injury. Um, and they've both been pretty lucky, like Beast getting injured recently, but then making it back in time, so... Yeah. yeah. I mean, for this year, we saw Lizard Goboka like really up his form, and in any other sort of period, he would probably have a really good chance. And he yeah. even did. I mean, a lot of people were pushing for his inclusion, but I think his time will come after Beast retires, presumably at the end of the World Cup, and he will be able to build his case more strongly going forward. And the other two people who had starts and just one each was Thomas Tatoya and Oxenshare. So they're also both relatively young and they'll also, their time will presumably come. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's one caveat about uh, Kaboka, unfortunately, is that he is 28 or so. So there's, there's not... That's true. Yeah. the line series as people are thinking he might, then, you know, it's a bit late for him to really start cementing his, his place in the squad of 30 when you've got younger guys like Thomas and um, Oxenshare mm. coming through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I guess um, even though props do sort of peak a bit later, it's still 
you know, 20. He's deceivingly older, I guess, just because he's such a late bloomer. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Should we move? Okay, let's move on to Hooker. Um, obviously, Malcolm Marx is the sort of guy who's started the most, and he's even started under both coaches. Um, and then joining him in the squad is Bongi and Skulk, Bongi and Bonambi and Skulk Brits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, who are the other options that we tried out there since 2015? Yeah, so um, Adrian Strauss obviously was quite a mainstay, at least in the squads, and he got 12 starts himself, but he retired sort of halfway through the cycle. Mm. And Chili Boy Ralapella also got two starts. So he, at one point, it looked like he was going to make a pretty good recovery because he had obviously been out of the picture for so long. But then his, that sort of stalled and he couldn't really make a positive comeback. He hardly started for the Sharks and he sort of just went by the wayside. So that really allowed a spot for... issues on the way. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that allowed a spot for Bongi and Bonambi to really open up and he sort of took it with open arms and he has really performed over the last couple of years. So he's definitely deserves a spot and I think we were even discussing earlier about how it's not even a clear cut choice of just putting marks in at number two, mm. given how strongly Bongi's been performing over the last year. Yeah. It's just a complete crazy statement if you think back two, three years ago. <laughs> where you know yeah. how just marks was head and shoulders above every other hook in the country, um, and even the world. Mm. Um, yeah, but now he's is seriously under threat by Bongi. Um, I think it might just come down to which of the two of them can figure out how to throw straight. <laughs> that gets you in the end. Yeah. And, I mean, I think Skulk Brits' third choice is a really sort of strong option as you won't really, hopefully, rely on him for the sort of first-choice team matches, but he's a really useful guy to have around in the squad and possibly even to captain against Canada and Namibia in those games. So even though I, I think a lot of people would prefer to take a young hooker to give him experience, like, there's definitely value in having Brits in the World Cup squad. Yeah, I see it in a very similar role as um, Bob Skinstad had in the 2007 World Cup. Like, he wasn't there to be part of the, you know, first choice 23, but he was an experienced head that had been to a couple of World Cups, um, that had played overseas. He's got a lot of just game day experience. Um, and I think he's also quite a lecker squad man. I think he brings quite a good vibe um, off the field as well, which is quite useful um, to have around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Alex, would you prefer would you prefer to see you know one of the younger guys, someone like Joseph Dweber, getting a opportunity? Like it would be a valuable experience, I guess, for a young player to know what it's like to go to a World Cup, mm-hmm. even if you're the third choice. Um, um, like going forward, it could be some would see it as more important than having a sort of 38 year old guy who's probably not going to start in any of the big games. No, I don't think so. I think under the circumstances, no one should be on that plane unless we're comfortable putting them into a, a, an elimination game in a quarterfinal, semifinal situation. Because enough, at this yeah. point, like, it's it's unforeseeable. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. We can't be giving away seats just because it's good experience anymore. Like, that's, that's fine for an end-of-year tour. In fact, I'd say it's one of the kind of priorities for an end-of-year tour, more so than in the rugby championship, for example. But for a World Cup campaign, like, we really... And especially when we, we're feeling this strong about our results and our potential. I think more so than ever, we, we need to be able to say that everyone here is good enough to, to play and win against the best teams in the world. 
so I mean, I and you know, just to be clear, I, I highly rate Joseph Dweber, um, but I don't think that he's he gives us the best option, the best chance of winning a game. Yeah, um, for sure. Whereas I think uh, I guess in the World is, Cup, you, yeah, World Cup is about here and now. You sort of want to give yourself yeah. the best chance. Yeah, it's not about the next year. You just play your absolute best possible hand and don't worry about anything else. Yeah, um, yeah. And from that perspective, I think Brits is the right call. Um, yeah. as Alex says, if this was an end of year tour, very different story. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Even uh, one game against Argentina where the results doesn't matter. You know, I think Weber probably deserved a, or not deserved a cap more, but would have been more useful getting a cap than say Scarra. But that's a separate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Move on to tight head. So tight head, we definitely saw a lot more variation than loose head. But um, Franz Malherber, as much as people like to criticize him, he's been the mainstay with 18 starts, and Vincent Koch second place with seven, and Trevor Nyakani's only got two, uh, which is surprising, as a lot of people mm. see him as the current first choice. So um, there are four other guys: Volkolo, Ruandra, Kuniostazen. And uh, Lawrence Adrianza, who mm. were ahead of Vinyakani, but um, he's obviously put his hand up, especially this year. And if he is first choice this year, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining. Yeah, not at all. I think he's one of those players that's kind of served his time across the, the years, and he's started more than enough of the Bulls. Um, so I think he was a victim of being a, a switch prop, so he moved across, and so he wasn't quite viewed as strong enough to start um, at tight end, but I think he's he's developed enough to show that he can play in that position. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, yeah. It's it's tough. I mean, up until like even a couple of weeks ago, I think most people would have said like he wasn't really going to be in line for his uh, ticket to the, on the plane or anything like that. But um, suddenly he kind of forced his way in in, in the wake of Franz Malherber and um and even to some extent, Vincent Koch underperforming. So, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show like, how much was still up in the air by that point. And, you know, even now, a bad game from someone in the opening fixture against New Zealand could easily see them falling out of contention for the starting 15 moving into the playoffs. Um, yeah, I think that course. applies across the front row. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think we, anyone can nail down this is the definite first choice amongst Marks Bongi, uh, Biscuits, or, or Malherb in Nikani. I think. Those two, in, uh, between those two in each position, um, it'll be very much performance-driven across the tournament who will be the, the first choice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's really good to see. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to the locks. I think locks are pretty straightforward just because, obviously, South Africa have very good locks, and the ones who have started have pretty much consistently played throughout the four years. So the main locks who are in the squad are also the ones who have started are... Evan Isbeth, Franco Mostert, Lurt Diacher, Arches, Neyman, and then and in the first two years, Peter Steff played a lot of lock. He had 12 starts at lock before he sort of transitioned mm. to blindside, but um, those four uh, were the main ones, and Jason Jenkins started one game, but he didn't feature again after that, and he's not currently in the picture. Yeah, on that, that note, I think um, another one of the caveats we need to highlight in the South African squad is a lot of caps were given in that once-off test against um, Wales last year. Um, yes. And a lot of those players were kind of never viewed to really start again. Um, they were kind of just throw away at the time. So, you know, Jenkins was one of those. Ox got a single start there. When we get down to the back line, guys like um, Rob Dupree 
Oh, no, sorry, he was off the bench. But a lot of there was a lot of ones off caps in that game. We guys have. Yeah. I guess, yeah, there there are a whole lot of people with one star who we should probably ignore for the most part when it's like yeah, a meaningless game the, out of the transfer window yeah. or the international window. Yeah, and that will yeah. drive them if we just look at the totals um, across the three countries. New Zealand have played 60. Have you have used 68 different starters, Australia 76. We've used 92. Mm. Um, but if we say probably half of those guys were in that single test, that drops down to a slightly more reasonable figure. I mean, it's still more than the others, but it's not quite as extreme yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's quite, it's quite interesting so with Eben Etzebeth he he I would say that he is fairly injury prone he doesn't play that much for the Stormers it seems but out of the whole squad he is the player who started the most in this whole uh, window that we're looking at yeah so he's just ahead of beast in terms of total starts but he started 33 out of 40 two or 43 games so that's a really high percentage and if we can keep him if he doesn't get injured throughout the world cup he's obviously a, he's one of the top locks in the world and him and i guess frank mustard starting in the second row is definitely a strength for the Springboks. i'm surprised that mustard has started the second most at lock out of anyone else i suppose that's because lewis and peter steph alternated jerseys quite a lot but yeah mm-hmm. mustard being the second most cap lock is interesting yeah i mean if you look at it it's like it's a myth on 33, and then the next three are all competing for the number five jersey. Yeah, so sure. like it, it just goes to show how dominant it's been that like there's no real competition for him in the number four, um, and the other guys have to kind of try and split the number number five between them. Um, yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. But, so if we move on now to uh, looking at number six, which is our open side, and the uh, no surprises there. Captain Khaleesi has the most starts, followed by Francois and then Quaka Smith, and those are the three options that we have at six in our squad. Mm. Um, and yeah, other than those three, we didn't really see too much. Yeah, I mean, that, I don't think that's... the six the one year that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it surprises too much there. I mean, things happened. Yeah, like the, the top three guys who have time in that jersey are going to the World Cup. It's that's what you'd expect. Um, and I think, yeah, the top two being Sia Khaleesi and Francois Lowe, that shows some good kind of dynasty planning from the Alistair Kutsia era. era. Uh, and with Francois Lowe, <laughs> even before then, like even you know he's he's been around the block on, under a number of different Springbok coaches. So yes, he got a hundred caps yet. It feels like he's been around forever, but he doesn't have a hundred. He only started playing quite late, but yeah, he started he, playing he, in 2010, and then he was yeah. old for quite a while. Okay. Um, uh, he's, he's at 68. Yeah. He's as well. He's actually 29, so he's the third most started player hmm. um, over the last four years, if you conclude a started blindside. Yeah, which is, yeah. Which is quite crazy, considering he's not actually first choice in any position. And hasn't really been for a while. Yeah, I guess he, he played when Khaleesi... Because Khaleesi, I think he had the one season where he didn't play for the box because of injury or form. Yeah. So Lowe started then. All right, let's move on to Blindside, where Peter Steff is our... Even though he played, he had 12 starts at lock, he was still the leading Blindside starter. And it's quite... A, a lot of people got a lot of opportunity there. So we have Peter Steff on 16, followed by Opal Mahoje on 9. Khaleesi himself started six, 
Gans at seven. And then there were guys like Jaco Krill and Jean-Luc Dupre. So it, it comes back to a problem which we've been talking about even on this podcast for a while, like the backup to Peter Steff not being clear. So we know that he is head and shoulders above everyone else and one of the best in the world at, in that position. But we haven't, or I guess we have tried to prepare because a lot of people have gotten a chance, but we still don't really have a clear option. Yeah. It's it's weird. I mean, you'd think it'd be a position we'd be really good at filling. Like, you'd think we'd be, you know, have blindside flanks coming out of our ears, but it, like none of them seem to be good enough for the Springboks. Like, we've got a lot of guys who could do a job at prov- like provincial or super rugby level, but very few of them would I actually trust with the Springbok jersey. And I mean, okay, Elstad, we, I think, can all agree, is not up to the challenge, but I really can't think of that many people who would be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the only guy on that list that I really would have thought should have made it is Ness, is Jean-Luc Dupre. I think yeah. Jacques Creel, Khaleesi, they're more open-siders, and Mohoje, I've never really been a fan of. Yeah. Um, but it's a good point that, you know, you would think blindside is the perfect position for a South African rugby player. But yeah. There's yeah. no one really in that category that's really shone out apart from Peter Steff in the last couple of years, and ultimately Peter Steff was a convert, more, not not a natural yeah. uh, blindside. And had a lot, of, a lot of doubters. When he first moved. Well, I mean, he, I mean, deservedly. Yeah, to be yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you remember that test against England, um, I think Ben Young scored like two yeah, identical tries for a huge dummy. Yeah. And it was yeah. Peter Steph both times. He just like didn't know what to do. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the final forward position, number eight. So there are two players who stand out in terms of starts, and Warren Whiteley and Dwayne Vermeulen. Um, Whiteley, I think, had a good chance of being in the squad if it wasn't for injury. So he. Um, unfortunately, didn't get to take his place, but Dwayne Vermeulen has that jersey in lockdown. And other than that, we had Uzer Kasim and Francois Lowe starting at eight. And I think Kasim was all before Rassi took over. So that was a long yeah. time ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, geez. Yeah, again, there's quite a lot of, I mean, you've used eight different eight men um, over the four years, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um but as you say, only two that have really stood out. That being said, Lowe has done a very, very capable job when he's been in there. So I, I'm not too concerned if he were to step in there in a crunch game in the World Cup. But obviously, Dwayne is, is definitely head and shoulders first choice. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I'm going to channel my inner Ant for a second and say that I, I still think Dan Dupree is a little hard done by um, not going to the World Cup. I think he was pretty standout in Super Rugby. I think he was he was maybe as effective, if not more so, than Dwayne even. Um, I mean, I think he was on paper one of the best performing yeah. loot forwards, if not players, in the tournament. I mean, the stats are unbelievable. Yeah, we, um, I think his, his, he just got his timing, unfortunately, a bit late. But he struggled with some injuries in the past couple of seasons. And I think by the time he really shone, he was just a bit too late to develop him as a as an eighth man. Yeah. At, yeah. at a book level, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, still, I think I think like it would have been worth it, I think, to to take a chance on him. But it feels like we left a little bit too late. Um, yeah, I mean, hmm. if we were to select him, say, who would we drop out, though? That's the only question. Is, is having another specialist eighth man is great, but then we have to lose. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah, if, if, if he went instead of Quacker, for example, you still have low covering six, and you'd say Dan Dupre can cover eight and seven, surely. So hmm. it, to me, it still makes more sense to take. I'd, I'd take him over Quacker. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of rounding the squad, yeah. I think it definitely. That's, that's a very good point. Like, I feel, I, I don't know. Which would we rather have 
flow at eight or at six in a crunch situation? Would you rather have flow six and Dan Dupree at eight or Quaker six low at eight? I think low at six, yeah. Dan at eight would yeah. be a better rounded loose trio. I think it plays um, all our yeah. strengths as well. Very much yeah. so. Definitely, I mean, we would gain quite a lot of weight there. <laughs> Probably a solid 35 kilos. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know they're both up to sale, but I, I still really hope that they do somehow get integrated back into the system because just like they are sort of freaks and they can be best in the world if they get everything else right. I really think so. I mean, there's, there's, you get players that come along where they can just dominate um, a game and I think the two of them have shown that they can do that. There's very few players that can just break tackles as easily hmm. and as carefreely as those two can. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right, guys, let's move on to the backs. Um, first Nine up, scrum, scrum half. So in the squad, we have Fafterkler, Kershaw, Yankees, and Corvus Reynach. We, we we know that both of Yankees and Reynach are late additions, so they have one start each. So the five guys who got chances in this World Cup cycle were Ross Grenier, Frantois Hochart, Rudy Page, Ivan Fintel, and Ambrose Papier, but for one reason or another, it didn't work out for them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Cronier was selected at a time when we really just didn't have anyone else and Fluff was overseas. Um, and then kind of, I suppose, the same for Page, Fonseil and Papier. It's just at any one time they were selected because there was really no one else. Um, once Fluff went overseas, there was just we had such a dearth of talent at nine. <laughs> it's just been such a big problem area. I mean, I don't think we need to to go into too much. It's... It is what it is. Like we we struggle. We've struggled since Fru Dupree to produce scrum yeah. halves who can perform um, at this level. It was a problem in the previous World Cup cycle as well. And the only reason I think, in fact, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty confident saying that the only reason we we did as well as we did in the final standings in 2015 was because of the decision to bring um, Fru Dupree back into the mix right at the end of his career. Very much so. And yeah, if you remember his try against Wales, for example, it was yeah, a crucial one. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the thing. Like without that, where would we where would we be? So I yeah, it's it's worrying, but like this is a case where the stats don't tell the full story because anyone who watched Herschel Yanchi's not just his one start but his two appearances off the bench will tell you that he's um like he's test he's test level ready. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are pushing for him to start, so yeah, I, I, I think that's that's maybe a bit premature. I, I don't know about that, but yeah. but yeah, like he can do a job. So uh, yeah, I think but that just shows I, I think, his impact. Yeah, awesome. the best thing we can say about this that we, if, in 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 four years' time, when we have the same episode, we'll be in a much better position in terms of scrum halves. Oh, one hundred percent. Which I is mean, just look at um, how Nahamba's been going for the shots. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was incredible yeah. in the last he, few games. And it's particularly against the Bulls. Yeah. He's just controlling the game he, so well. Yeah, and and he's, not even, like, he's not even the best age group level scrum off at, at the Union. No, and that's the most exciting thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think I think from being a very big problem area, we're suddenly going to have it um, uh, as a position of strength within a couple of years, which is quite exciting. Yeah, it's hope so. It's hope so. Okay. One of the more settled positions, I think, looking at the numbers is number 10. So... Yankees and Pollard share the starts, but Yankees actually has more. I think he had more under Alistair Kutsia, and Pollard has obviously taken the reins more recently. But mm. it's also good Pollard to see that our first... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's problems. true. That's true. But I think it's good for the squad that both of them are pretty experienced in terms of starts. It's not like Yankees only has experience off the bench. So, 
Um, yeah. I think that is true. between the two, we can feel pretty comfortable, even if Pollard goes down. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Whereas a lot of other teams, if you lose your starting 10, you know, that's almost like the whole game plan out the window. Hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's actually a really good position to be in. And, like, it's one of those things where if there's one position you want to have this kind of depth in, I think it would actually be, be either scrum half or fly half. Um, and, you know, we look now at New Zealand, for example, and they don't even know who their best fly half is. Like, they can't actually decide. And, yeah. you know, we're comfortable putting either of these guys in a 10 and having the other one come in off the bench. Either And, and that's the other good thing is that we can combine them at 10 and 12 as well. So yes. I think we're actually in, in a really good position here. Um, and I think we've, we've yeah. done well to build this. Yeah, and I think that's something we can say overall is, is overall. I think given the limitations we've had with changes with coaches, I think the squad has built quite well. We've got very nice, clear first choices yeah. in most positions. And those players have started a significant number of time, times in those positions as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not like um, say New Zealand, whose first choice fly off going into the World Cup has got two starts. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's look at number twelve then. Um, the Damien de Allender has twenty starts from the last four years, and the backup for him in the squad is Francois Stein, who hasn't had any starts at twelve. I guess that could be seen as worrying. Um, the rest of the starts were split between guys like Jan Serfontaine, Andre Esterhazen, Jean de Young, Francois Fenter. So. I think Dallander is a key a key part of the backline, and he'll always have his detractors, but he has been, if nothing else, he's been solid at number 12 for the last three or four years. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, Dallander does draw some criticism. He, does, he is seen to be as a bit of a blunt instrument, um, but I think we mentioned in a previous episode um, where my main criticism of him was less his lack of creative ability, but much more his shaky defense. And since he's improved that, I've got very little qualms about him starting for us. I think our game plan desires a, a blunt 12, not a creator. And so you know, whether he can or can't is a separate debate. He's not required to for the job that he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Look, I, I, I think it's... I've got no concerns personally about that and as our starting 12. I think this was telegraphed a mile away. And that's that's borne up in the stats, I think. Um, the fact that we haven't invested in anyone else beyond the single digits. Other, um, so I am very concerned about the fact that Stain as backup 12 hasn't had a start in this jersey or in any jersey right. um, in the last... I'm not too concerned about that, I'm, I must admit. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think maybe we, like... we have different perspectives <laughs> as a player. But I mean, the thing is... Like, it doesn't matter because what the guy can start. Okay, granted, it's no French league, but the, the guy, you know, it's not like he's been hasn't played rugby in a long time. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean, so I think there's there's a lot of guys out there who've been marinating at you know in French rugby or J- Japanese rugby that I wouldn't be comfortable pulling in. Um, and I have the same skepticism every time we bring it. We bring a player back. I felt the same way about Fafter Clerk, Leroux, Francois Lowe, Scott Britz. Um, even Cheslin Colby, all of these guys, for me, the, the default position is one of skepticism because, to be honest, I just don't rate the the Northern Hemisphere leagues that much, um, and the French more than any others. I don't, I just don't. I think that it's very easy for a mediocre player to hide, and the only That's way to fair. resolve that is to see them play. And 
everyone I named, except for Elstad, has played and proved themselves. Elstad played and played himself out of a position because he just wasn't he just wasn't good enough. And we haven't seen enough. Yeah, from... I think I think we did miss a trick by not starting staying against Argentina. I think yeah, that would have allayed a lot of people's fears to rest. Um, yeah. Had he played that, and given that by that stage you can really tell Essendon was not going to be the first choice twelve. Right. Sorry, the backup twelve. Yeah. I don't see the benefit of him starting that game. Yeah. Well, it's quite interesting. So second on the list was Jan Fontaine, and he was included on the sort of injured list, of one of the players who wasn't available because of injury. So it would have been interesting to to see or even to know if he was or he would have been a part of the plans yeah. if it weren't for those injuries. But we'll yeah, never know. Because he can cover 12 and 13, which gives you some nice flexibility on the bench. Um but at the same time, would we prefer Serpentine to sustain um, if we had to choose between one of the two of them as, as a bench option or a backup 12? I, I personally would probably prefer Stain just because I think he offers more squad um, depth or squad coverage in terms of positions. The fact that he can kick a 60-meter penalty is a nice bonus, but also the fact that he's gone and won a World Cup is quite a useful experience to have in this team. Yeah. yeah. No, see, I, 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 I agree with all of that, a lot of that, but I mean, I, so I'm still... I don't believe that he offers. <laughs> I don't. I don't buy that he offers depth at ten and, at ten and fifteen. I'm still not convinced that he offers depth at twelve. So yeah, you know, and, and I think people saying that he can play fifteen because he played fifteen ten years ago, like that's not good enough. Um, and even even if he's played fifteen in the French leagues again, like that does that's not good enough for me either. If I had to make a decision before the squad was put together, uh, before the rugby championship, I would have gone with Surf and Ten if those were my two options because. If if nothing else, he's at least younger, and fitter. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> that's like the one thing I know for sure that he's younger than France or Stein. Everything else is like is it's spe- more injured than France or Stein. No, no, of course. I mean, I'm not. I'm talking injury notwithstanding. But yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. so I personally would have gone that way. But and I'm fine with the fact that Rossi didn't. And would I, you have gone Estee over Serpentine? No, I'd take Serpentine over Estehazen. Estehazen's like fourth choice, number 12 for me. Okay, okay but what if Serpentine's injured, then who do you take? Well, I'd take Francois Stein and Estehazen, and I'd give both of them playing time, and then okay. I can tell. All right, I think we could probably argue about this the whole day, but let's move on to number 13, where I think it's quite interesting that um, Jesse Krill is head and shoulders above anyone else in terms of number of starts, but it doesn't seem like he's currently the first choice, so... Lukanya Am only has seven starts, but he has elevated himself. I know he was injured for a large part of last season, but he's obviously done enough to prove himself. And the other guys who got starts in this window were Mapu, Francois Fenter, and Joanne de Young. Well, Jesse Creel's been, I mean, I suppose, fairly first choice since before the last World Cup, but I don't think at any point in that entire five years period has anyone really felt like he's a gold standard of 13. Um, everyone respects his athletic ability, um, and he's certainly a very, very hard runner. But there's just question marks around his distribution, around his running lines. Um, he seems to kind of cut out space for some of his wings a little bit. Uh, and his defense at certain times has also been questioned um, and lauded, to be fair. But uh, I think he certainly in the last two years, particularly last year under John Mitchell, he really sorted out a lot of those issues. Um, but Am is a much more of a cerebral, cerebral pl- player. And I think outside of a blunt 12, having a, a, a 13 that's able to put wings into space is something that we all kind of saw value in immediately. So the minute that Am really stepped up at super rugby level, we felt like that was something we wanted in a Springbok 13 rather than another athletic hard runner. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, basically, Creel was first choice, head and shoulders, because we just had no inspiring 13s. And like, I think everyone had kind of reconciled with the fact that our centers were just going to be very one-dimensional, you know, for the next kind of 20 years or something. And then suddenly, Lucanio Am comes out of nowhere, and he offers a dimension that we haven't seen in our centers since, I don't know, when, um, you know, some might say Jacques Free. I know Phil would probably say Eddie Jacobs. Um, but, you know, the point is that <laughs> suddenly he we have a center for, for the first time in years we have a center so it's not surprising to me that he's leapfrogged he's been able to leapfrog Creel um, despite his injuries because i think his skill set was just too good to ignore and there's no one else who offers it so i think yeah, exactly yeah, i think, I think there's other guys Benta, De Jong, they do similar stuff to Creel, but not at Creel's level yeah, yeah. and I, at the so, same time i feel you know, they, they were a challenger. Yeah, and i feel great having Creel as the backup um I think he's oh, 100%. I was about to say, it's like really good to have two proper quality 13s to choose from. So yeah. whoever starts, it's good to have another great player in the squad. All right, let's move to wings. So wings is probably the position which is, has been sort of less managed well in terms of having a clear plan and seeing players get enough starts all the way through. So this is shown by the two players who have the most starts. Uh, in this period are Apiwe Danchi and Kornos Kosan with 13 and 12 each. So each of those for very different reasons aren't in the squad. Um, and the players who are in the squad, Spoon Kosi, Makazole Matimpi, Cheslin Colby, Warwick Gallant and uh, Jesse Creel. So those last two are, are in the squad but under different positions. They Neither of them or have had a lot of starts but at least they in recent times they've been the sort of clear starters. Yeah, yeah and they're all relatively recently on, onto the scene. I mean, in course, and Mpimpi and Colby, they, you know, they all only debuted last year. And then in course, and Mpimpi both lost significant chunks to injury and Colby wasn't included for certain squads. Um, you know, I think the weirdest thing about our wings is how it seemed that at the start of the season, Alistair could see a pick two wings and just played them exclusively. And then the next season, he dumped Peterson, Habana, <laughs> and picked another two wings. And he said, cool, this year I'm just going to play Scorsan and Rule for the whole season. Uh, they did the same with Kutsuki at fullback. And then again, the next season just completely dumped by the wayside. So you're investing in a, you know, a lot of caps into a certain player, but with no plan for the future. And so it seemed like you know, we wasted a lot of opportunity because um, a lot of those guys really weren't going to be making this team in the long term and really kind of didn't deserve to be at that level at all. Granted, there, was, there wasn't much competition for squad uh, for spots at the time, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like there was a lot of wasted development across the years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I must say, I think if, if there's one position where I don't mind, where I think that that, that approach is the least harmful, I think it is on the wing. Um, Agreed. I'm a big fan of, of just you pick whoever's in form. For your wings, yeah, yeah form wingers, exactly. form wingers yeah, especially good, especially on the left wing, like your strike wing. I think whoever's hot, whoever's feeling good and scoring tries, you just put him in. Um, so, and like as you say, like when we were picking guys like Rule and Combrink and you know Travis Ishmael or whatever, I don't think at the time, if we're honest with ourselves, we we really could have said there's someone else who who ought to be playing their position instead. Like Raymond Rule was having a pretty good season. At the time, yeah, I mean, he was having a pretty good season, but at the same time, we were, I don't think we ever felt that any of those players were poor quality. It was yeah. just that there was no one else better than yeah. either. Yeah. So we were, we were um, just kind of you know, treating water. It was a sad situation. It was similar to our scrum offs, and that you know we never thought that Fonseil or Papier or Page were really yeah. at the level to be a book or even Brunier. Yeah. 
but we just yeah. didn't have any order. Exactly. So it's like, well, you are the best, yeah. but you just you shouldn't be the best. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, yeah. we're basically just we're, we're treating water time. until someone someone legitimate comes along, and, like, and I think that's what we've done. And we're lucky in a way that we've got guys like Colby and Corsi who are performing when we need them to. It is a bit sad, I think, because Dianchi and Skosan, I think, of all of these guys, like they had the potential to be the real deal. Um, and Dianchi, I think. Oh, Dianchi, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I think like the the caps here that I think are a waste that do represent a wasted opportunity are maybe just Habana and Hochart and Peterson uh, and Invovo. Because those guys were always like, they were too old. Like, they were never going to make it to this World Cup. Um, and I think that's like an indication of Alistair Katia maybe, you know, rolling the dice <laughs> to, to try and get some wins, some desperately needed wins to try and, and save his job. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't really work. So, yeah. But I, I do think that the guys we've got going are the best ones for the job. And I think that they are the hot wingers at the time, at the moment. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not upset at all about the, the guys we're taking. I think you've chosen the right players, and I think they're all demonstrating that they can perform very well at the level. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've no no upsetness about the guys we got there, or just that you know, I suppose the feeling of handing out caps to guys that you're like, why, why did they get it? They didn't really need that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And, we'll, I mean, we'll get to New Zealand just now, but I mean, there's, they have question marks over their wingers as well. And... You know, the fact that four or five years ago, you would have thought Julian Sevilla would be well on his way to, you know, breaking a record at this World Cup, World Cup, uh, World Cup. and and even as little as a year or two ago, you would it would be unthinkable that anyone other than Rico would be the starting um, number 11 for them, and yet, you know, here we are. So, I mean, I mean yeah. someone should definitely call George Bridge, but... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's move to the final position for the Springboks then. Full back, and Billy LaRue has very much entrenched himself since he returned from the UK, since Rossi picked up the phone and realized that our other options just weren't going to cut it. And the main option before he came back was actually Andrew Skutier, who, while I may be a big fan of his, and not everyone is, um, <laughs> but Warwick Gallant is the other full back in the squad, and he's had three starts. Um, and a couple of others got a very little opportunity, but really, Billy's been backed ever since he's come back. And even without him, it's a little bit scary to think that will Glant be able to actually, you know, step into his place if we've seen such a little bit of him. Yeah, I mean, I think fullback is really the one position that I'm the most nervous about. Or I think the position where the backup is really a fair step in quality off the starter. Um, I know LaRue's not the player he used to be, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think he's doing more of the solid start or stuff, but he is definitely, in terms of experience and just his ability and the stuff that he brings to the Springbok game, quite far ahead of Galant, I think. And so if LaRue goes down, I am not... Cons- uh, I mean, I still would play that back Galant to do the job, but I think we lose quite a lot with the loss of LaRue. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, it's just the problem with Galant is that he... He's he's a good fly half, I think, but he's a different kind of fly half. And the loss of Vili would, would, would be more than just the loss of him as a player. It's it's what he represents in terms of his skill set. Um, and we really have no replacement for that. Um, and I think that's where we'd be particularly vulnerable. Um, and I, as much as I like Kalant as well, he's just not that kind of a player. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the only risk. And again, I don't see Stan as covering there, so we're left without anyone really. Um, anyway. If Villosa had not got injured towards the tail end of Super Rugby, would you have taken him instead of 
um, class. Personally, I feel Willemse, despite his inexperience, particularly at 15, offers much more of a similar skill set to Peru than Galant. Yeah, 100%. I would have taken him, and I would have taken Dylan Leeds over Galant as things currently stand. I would have, I would have, I would have even had Bosch over Galant to be honest. But you know, these are how things worked out. That's a big call. That's a big call. And of course, Andrew did too. Anyway, so that wraps up that one pretty quickly. Would you take Would you take over Galant? Uh, 2015 Zane Kirshner, definitely. Um, I don't know how he's doing at the moment. Probably not so well, but anyway, let's move on to, we're very briefly going to discuss the All Blacks and the Wallabies, just given that... Hello? Oh? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it was going to be that brief. No. <laughs> can, you, can you hear us? I have no idea what happened. Okay, okay Alex, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to take us through the very brief um, main talking points of the All Black squad and the emissions? Yeah, sure. So just quickly for the the, um, the high-level numbers. So we just discussed how since 2015, South Africa capped 645 different... Uh, well, not different players. Sorry, that would be ridiculous. 645 total caps were allocated by the Springboks. Um Starting caps. In terms of starts. Yeah, starting yes. caps. Yeah. And of those starting caps, only 412 have been retained for this World Cup squad. So that's a retention rate of 63.9%, uh, 64% essentially. New Zealand um, are a little bit higher than that. Of the 690 caps they gave to starters, they've retained 486, which is a 70.4% retention rate. So it's about six, just over six percentage points more than the Springboks have done. Um, I think you can isolate that to just a few, two or three players, which is quite interesting. Yeah, but we'll get into it that. It is very interesting. So um, I'll just go very quickly. Lucid prop, uh, no real surprises there. Joe Moody's been their go-to guy, and he remains so with 28, 28 caps. Um, the next highest is Kane Hames, and he's nowhere near the squad. They've got Tuanga Fassi in the squad as his backup, and I think that's good. He's on form. Kane Hames has really dropped off um, the radar, so you wouldn't expect to see him there. Uh, similarly with hookers, Dane Coles and Cody Taylor have split the starting caps pretty equitably, 24 and 21 respectively, and respectively, and um, that's mainly due, I think, to Dane Coles' injury a couple of years ago, gave Cody Taylor a bit of an inside edge, and he took it with both hands, so no surprises there. The big surprise is that they're only taking two uh, hookers. Um, the, no, they're taking Colton. Oh, Liam Colton, but he hasn't started for them. Yeah, not, yeah, not so one. So they're only taking two hookers that have previously started for them, and that I think is a pretty big call. Um, they've gone all in on Dane Coles and Cody Taylor, which is a huge risk considering Dane Coles' injury history. Um, and it's a, it's a real surprise to me that they haven't used the last year or two to give opportunities to guys like Asafo Amua, who have been in the squad before, uh, Coltman, who's been in the squad before, even like someone like James Parsons. Um, there are a lot of guys that you'd think would have had opportunities to prove themselves in this eventuality, but obviously Hansen knows what he likes, so he's gone with Coles Taylor. The big surprise, um, I think, which pretty much precipitated this whole conversation is Owen Franks being ditched by the All Blacks, which they announced this morning, and he represents 30 starting caps over the last four years, which is a massive investment in a player who was already pretty well established, and 
the three tight heads that they are going with are um, Nipola Lada, Angus Tavao, and Ofatuan Gafasi. Um, and those are all three good players. Like they've, they've done perfectly fine at Super Rugby level. I think there are some questions over the scrummaging ability of Tavao and Laulala. I think that they've been known to give away a few scrumming penalties. But, I mean, the question everyone's asking is, if Owen Franks isn't good enough for the, the squad today, what's changed since, like, a month ago when they were playing their last friendly against, or Bledisloe 2 against Australia? Like, why ditch Owen Franks after all these years? Because, I mean, this is, this is essentially his all-black career done now. And it's, it just seems like a really yeah. weird yeah. time to ditch him. Uh, so I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I think, I think they... His mobility, his mobility around the park was potentially showing up quite pertinently in the last two games. And I think that maybe was just the straw that broke the back. Like, they realized that we're going to be playing on ideally hard, fast surfaces in Japan. And he's just going to, you can't get around the park the way that they needed to. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite a, a tough um, call to make at the stage in the game. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, 108 capital black. He's anchored. I mean, I was shocked. Because it's, 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 it's one position where I think experience is actually really, really important. Yeah, so just losing that experience. I mean, I, I, I don't think that the other props are particularly mobile where it's like you're really gaining a lot in terms of the mobility of someone like uh, Laulala. So I was surprised and I, I'm not 100% on whether I think it's a great decision or not. So hopefully that benefits the Springboks. I don't think it's a great decision, but I think if they ditched him a year ago, it would have been a good decision. Right, it's right. So it's so late yeah, in process. I, I don't think I don't think Owen Franks has been good for like for a couple of years now. Not just in the last test. Like, yeah, you, he's never. You, you would say he's. Yeah, like I can't remember the last time he was considered mobile. So why like why suddenly did Steve Hansen wake up and be like, "Geez, that guy's fucking fat." I never noticed before. Yeah, <laughs> I think maybe they just decided that they needed. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, Owen Franks was never known as a mobile player, but I think maybe it's just more and more. That's something you need, and you can't. As good as scrummage as you are, you can't compensate. I think a lot of us would disagree with that. Is that you know, you pick your best scrummaging tight end, irrelevant to what he does. Anything he does after that is a bonus. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, pick him scrummage. If that's if that's the mentality, then. I think we can win the World Cup. To be honest, like if they if they take if they're yeah. banking on like mobile props to win them the competition, I think they're gonna be in a lot of trouble. Um, and like I mean, like Phil said, it's not just that they have a different skill set. Like they're not experienced, and that's a huge problem. If you've got a a bad or like a, a weak set piece, like a weak scrum, and you start off the game with like two or three massive tight head pushes by the opposition, like that's gonna fuck you up for the rest of the game. And it doesn't matter if you can offload in the tackle or make a half break. If your set piece is shaky, you, you're losing that game like eight times out of ten, I reckon. So, yeah, this is a big this is a big area of concern for the All Blacks. I think the, the whole front row, to be honest. Um, yeah. All right, let's, All right, let's move on to the locks. Um, I think. Look, very little to talk about in the locks. Their top four starting locks over the past four years are all going: Sam Whitelock, Retallick, Scott Barrett, and Two Pilatu in that order. Um, yeah. Nothing, nothing suspicious. I think, there. I, think, I, think I think seven, seven and eight are also pretty straightforward. But the main talking point comes around number six. Yeah, big time. So they've tried out six different blindside flanks in the last four years. Um, Squire, seventeen starts. Kano, thirteen starts. Fafita, seven starts. Frizzell, five. Dixon, two. And Ardi Severe, two. And they've only taken Ardi Severe 
of those six. It's mad. It's mad. It is mad. I saw. Yeah, and and Adi's. Like, yeah, I just saw two years ago that he's too small to play open side. Now he's suddenly their first choice blind side. Yeah. Bizarre. And he's and he's, <laughs> he's the second most capped loose. Uh, sorry, open side flank with nine, and the third most capped number eight with three. And the sixth most kept blindside, just, but that seems to be. I assumed a... that they were going to bring back. Spire. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think, but I mean, I mean they knew. Well, the thing is, like, they they knew fairly recently that Squire was like struggling with injury because he he missed most of the Super Rugby season. Like, they could never have banked on him. And I don't know, like, and then they didn't. They didn't, they didn't bank on anyone, on anyone else. Like they gave them sporadic yeah. starts. Like Fafita, Brazil, no one got like a proper run. Like, if, you know? if you're gonna bank, even during Super Rugby, yeah. those guys were getting very dodgy game time. Yeah. Like Fafita, I mean, Brazil was mad. Yeah. Game. And you know, as my fantasy is very frustrating that you know he kept being on the, sitting on the yeah. bench. Bizarre. I don't know. Like, how did this manage, management uh, secretly Springbok supporters or something? But. You would think that Steve Hansen, because he brought him into the squad, and like surely at that point he's like, Jesus, I, I need this guy to get game time. Yeah, he should you, be. You, 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 take him, uh-huh. you take him aside, and you're like, Shannon, you're getting 80 minutes every single game between now and the World Cup, and you need yeah. to use every yeah. single one of them to prove to me that you're the starting blindside flank, because right now the jersey's up for grabs. And they still didn't do it. So they like panicked. I, I, they I, retreated I, to something that they thought was like a comfort pick, which is Artie, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. work. And like they're now, like they're really gambling on having this dynamic loose trio. Of Sam Kane, Adi so, Severe, so, and Kieran Reid. I was about to ask before we move on to the. Sorry. And sorry, do you want to finish? Right? I was just going to say weirdly, their most like grunty, dynamic, or their most grunty, hardworking player of those that Lustro is their open side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's a so, problem. So before we move on to the facts, who do you think is going to be their starting loose forward trio against the Springboks in the opening game? Kane Severe, Reid. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think it has to be because Retallick's injured, so you, you've no, got to no. play. You've got to play. Barrett has to play. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think you can afford to play Barrett at blindside and two bloody starting and not have a lock replacement on the bench. Not against the Springboks. Yeah. Like, yeah. What are you gonna do? Your tight five is gonna be fucked at the end of the game, and we're still gonna be bringing on like <laughs> kits off, like either Marks oh, Bongi oh, or like Arceus oh, Heyman <laughs> and Franz Wallo. Like those guys are gonna get fucked up. So it's all very exciting, which means you know they're not. Then it's basically between Jacobson and Severe blindside, and you know they're gonna fix Severe there. Yeah. So there's not much gosh, I don't think. Um, for playoffs, well, who knows? Slightly different. If, but we, if, if we look at the New Zealand backs, it's a lot more straightforward. I think the two positions we can quickly highlight are wing, where we've seen players come in and out, as we said a little bit before, and then also the fly half fullback sort of conundrum with Barrett getting the majority of the starts, but now potentially not being the first choice. Number yeah, we so we did touch upon it briefly earlier, but let's just talk about the wing situation where Naholo was the second most backed wing before he got dropped this year. And then obviously there were guys like Sabir and Dag who got a considerable number of starts before being hit by injury slash form. Yeah. Yeah, well, Sevilla just, just hit the dreaded age 27 and was gone. Yeah. You know, Dag is kind of just continuously injured. Naholo, I mean, I mean interesting an interesting story what he kind of just fell off the radar there. But um, I think, I think, I think yeah, Naholo, what happened, the, like those, those herbs that his uncle gave him finally wore off. <laughs> <laughs> he, took he took sacrifice to make the last. Yeah, he sold his soul for the last hit and, like, and the devil took his cue. <laughs> so, who do we think is going to be the first choice starting wings and fullback? I think 
Yeah, I mean, fullback, they've got to go with Bert Barrett only because they've invested so much time and effort into this dual playmaker system. Um, that was meant to have McKenzie at 15. Because um, if you look at those, those uh, starts, Ben Smith has got 17 starts at fullback and 14 at, at right wing. Um, so the plan was, I think he was, you know, I mean, most of those 17 starts at fullback, I think, were in the first two years. And then they shifted him across the right wing when they started playing McKenzie at 15. Um, but now that he's gone, Barrett has to start at 15. So then the question is, do you go with a slightly older, out-of-form Ben Smith? He's not quite the wing strike power he could be, um, or an un, you know, two-caps every Reese. And the same thing on the left wing is, do you go with Ioni, who's definitely had a quiet season? Um, it's been mentioned on the pod that if he hadn't got 23 All Black Caps, would he even make the team? Would he have played well enough this year to have made his debut? Um, and I think that's definitely up for debate. So, you know, do you go for very, very <laughs> inexperienced back three in total? Weirdly talking about, you know, a two-cap Reese or one-cap Richard or three-cap Barrett. Mm. Yeah, it seems like yeah, it. It seems like it. It seems like yeah. it. It's tough. I don't know. So that, I mean, I'd like to say I'd like to say they should play Barrett, uh, Geordie on the right wing, but I think they need his utility on the bench. So I think, yeah, yeah. I think they should go with what you said. I think if they can play Ben Smith or Reese, I don't think they'll play Geordie Barrett on the right wing. I think they, I think they should play. I think they'll either go for experience or they'll go for the, the form player. No, so, I mean, I think, I think that they should play Bowden Barrett ten, Ben Smith fifteen, Geordie Barrett fourteen. I think those are their best players in those positions at the moment. Um, Moanga, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure. But they need. To, but the point is, they've got to have two flops on the field. Yeah, no, no, no I, get, I hear you, but like, I think that was, a I think that was a mistake. I think that they like they dug themselves that, that trap used when 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 David McKenzie was fit, and now they can't get out of it. Yeah, and that is that's the big point. But the question is, then do you change your entire game plan that you've been building for two years a week out from or two weeks before the World but, Cup? But, but surely, if this game plan is so central, they would have taken more than two fly halves. Again, who else do you take though? I mean, Joshua Ioni was the guy who got at least a couple of runs off the bench, but he's also so fresh, so it's interesting. I think it's a sign of panic. I think Hansen's panicking. Yeah. I mean, Hansen even said he said TJ Perinara can play 10. That's so desperate. And Ryan Crotty. And Ryan Crotty, who played in school or something. So desperate. I'm glad this game brain is so mushy at this point. I would not completely control it. Yeah, these guys are ripe. The only other... Right the, the only other main talking point was Laomapi not getting selected, but if you look at the starts, it's pretty clear that Sunny Bull and Crotty were back from the start. That was also fairly telegraphed. I think, I mean, it's unlucky for Laomapi because he's, I mean, he would walk into the starting side at any other country, but it's just you've got the experience of, you've, or you've just got the uniqueness of Sunny Bull that you, you know, you can't really overlook, or they feel they can't overlook, and then you've got the experienced game plan head of Crotty that they want as well. So I, I, it's unfortunate for Lamapi, but it was kind of telegraphed. True. True. Okay. As long as Sunny Bull, Sunny Bull, Crotty were fit, he was not going to make it. Yeah. Alex, any final points on the All Black squad before we move to Australia? Um, I think I think this paints a picture of a, a very carefully crafted plan that is falling apart before Hansen's eyes, and one that he doesn't have a plan B for. He doesn't have a backup plan. Um, and I think yeah, he's... Yeah, I, th- I think he did, he did get unlucky with injuries, particularly to Squire um, and to Danny yeah, McKenzie, but you're right, he didn't help himself by 
picking, um, you know, a roundabout of, of blind sides and then not yeah. choosing any of yeah. them. So I think he's doing exactly what you basically said, and where he's like, he's like, this is the plan. We're going to stick to it. We need to find the personnel that fit the plan rather than vice versa. And I think that's a sign of a, a not a very good coach. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe to the to some extent, the All Blacks have been lucky in previous years to have enough depth to be able to do that, but it, they don't have it this year. And I just think they're right for the picking with this with this lineup. Yeah. And yeah. they have the players to make a World Cup winning team again, but not with the current game plan and not with the, the lineups that they seem to be selecting. So I think they, they've yeah. painted themselves yeah. into a corner. So that McKenzie so injury, yeah, that could be it's crucial. Anyway, let's move on. We're going to talk very, very briefly, even briefly, uh, about Australia. I'll quickly run through the forwards while Ant will cover the bats. And the forwards in general look like they've been fairly well managed and well maintained, barring two positions, uh, that being hooker and eighth man slash number six. They sort of go together, but... It, it, at prop, they had clear starters with Scott Steer and Takopi Kepu starting the majority of the games. Even at lock, Coleman, Rodder, Arnold, and Simmons are the locks in the squad, and they were pretty much the only four who got any meaningful game time. And then at seven, you have the remarkable statistic of Michael Hooper starting 44 out of 46 games in the last four years. And I think that's unrivaled, not even like close from any of the other teams. So that shows his sort of... I don't know, fortitude. fortitude. Um, but if you look at Hooker, I think Hooker is the possibly problem position in terms of experience, but not necessarily in terms of ability. So Falau Fahinga has cemented his spot pretty much only over the last year because he only has six starts. Um, a lot of starts were wasted on guys like Stephen Moore and Tafu Palatinao who aren't in the squad. And they've only taken two hookers in Fahinga and Latu who have 11 starts between them. So... So it's, it's a lack of experience. And then at eight, the guy who started the most was Sean McMahon. And he's not in the squad, obviously. Um, and then you also have Pocock, who started 14 games of eight. And he is obviously really susceptible to injury. And he may not even start at eight if he does start. So the most likely starter at the beginning of the tournament, at least, is probably Nicerani, who's only got four starts and who only made his debut this year. So even though he's performed quite well, his lack of experience could potentially be an issue. And then at six, Ned Hannigan led the way in terms of starts, but he's never sort of got anyone particularly excited except maybe the opposition. I mean, we were talking about like we were talking about treading water with like our scrum halves and our wings earlier. Like Ned Hannigan is like the ultimate placeholder. Like the poor guy. Yeah. Like, and he must have been told by the coaches, like, yeah, don't worry, Ned. You like, you're going to the World Cup. Like, don't worry. Like, who else are we gonna take? And then suddenly they're just like, <laughs> Salakai, Lotto, Dempsey. Yeah, sure, we'll take anyone other than Ned Hannigan. I don't blame them. Exactly. exactly. So those, those are the two in the squad. I think that it's clear that they just never found a good replacement with Scott Fardy after the last World Cup. So that I think is their number one problem position. That's two massive, massive losses. I mean, just imagine, I mean, just imagine yeah. they lose Trev. They got to choose between Hooper, Pocock, uh, McMahon, and, and Fardy instead of Nasserani, Sotoka Lotto, Dempsey. I mean, those names are just not scary at all. Yeah, and McMahon is just such a big loss because he, as a number eight, he's, I think, right up there in terms of potential ability. So they miss a lot with him, whatever happened to him. 
going to Japan and never coming back. Yeah. Yeah, they should have. Uh, 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 yeah, and yeah. And do you want to take us through the bats as quickly as you can? <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually really interesting. I suppose. Um, similar to the forwards is that it's pretty locked down. There's not too many positions where they've rotated too much, um, which kind of goes against at least my general theory about Australia is that they've been in, in this kind of transitiony phase, not really knowing who they wanted. Um, so at, at nine, you've got Genia with 34 starts way out in front, and then Fibs, who was the designated backup for a long time. Um, but again, I've never really been a massive fan of Fibs. White coming back this season has definitely um, stepped up the game and looks set to start at the World Cup. At 10, I mean, they've got a plethora of options. Um, but one that really, really stands out, Foley with 31 starts, Cooper with six, Beal, Lelifano, three each, Tamu and Hodge, both with, with two and one each. Um, again, interesting that Lelifano is going to be likely the first choice going into the World Cup. But they do have very strong experience, um, if not form, backing him. Um, but it, it's, I suppose from their position, it's nice to know that they've got quite a lot of guys that can cover there. Even if there's not too much starting experience between them, um, and yeah, you know, I don't think any of them are really world beaters at ten. Um, if you look at, I mean, granted, Richie Moanga doesn't have a lot of starts, but between him and Barrett, New Zealand have two really, really strong options. Uh, if you look at England, Ford and um, Barrel, they've got a lot of experience and starts between the two of them. Between us, we've got Pollard and Yankees. There's a lot of experience, a lot of guys, uh, and a lot of talent that you'd be quite comfortable with either of those guys starting. Lefano is solid, if not spectacular, but Foley's been shaky for four years, and I don't know if I would trust any of the Automura, or let alone Hodge, starting a quarterfinal at 10. Um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's a potential worry for them, but I think they acknowledge it and they're trying to get around it. Um, at 12, it's interesting that Beal's got the most starts there, but you know that's because Falau was playing 15. So as soon as Falau moved out, they had to bring in uh, move Beal to the back, which personally I think is a much better fit for him. It allows them to have a much more structured defensive line and not have to have players running around all the time. So being able to bring Karevi at 12, um, he's got the next most starts, 10. Um, certainly shows up their defense, and I think he's just a much more game-breaky type player in limited space. What is quite interesting, though, is that their next three 12s, in terms of most starts, are all also on the fly-off list, which is Foley, Hodge, and Schmerr. So, you know, they definitely look to have favored that, that second playmaker option and then just done a complete U-turn over the last couple of months with Karevi there, who's much more of a, a non-U type mold player, much more of a basher. Um, if we go down to 13, again, they've only used six players. Um, Kurandrani and Karevi hogging the majority of the caps there. Kurandrani with 23 and Karevi with 13. Um, Kurandrani seems to have lost his jersey to O'Connor, which again makes sense. I think having a center pairing of Karevi and Kurandrani is just a bit too samey-samey. You need to have a guy that's a bit more um, creative that can kind of spread the board out a little bit wider. So bringing in Hod, uh, sorry, O'Connor there has definitely helped them out. Um, Rob Horn and Falau both also get one start and Reese Hodge I mean we know he's probably one of the most versatile players going to the World Cup but he's also got six starts at 13 um, looking at fullback very quickly before we get to the wings obviously Falau is by far the most standout um, starter there 30 caps but um, for very well documented reasons he's not going along 
Um, so the 15 jerseys are most likely to be shared between Beal uh, as first choice and Haley Petty, both with seven starts between them. Um, Beal, obviously, though, has had a lot of game time for the Wallabies and a lot of experience in 15, you know, pre-2015 World Cup as well. The two other guys that have seen the jersey, Tom Banks and Morahan, uh, Morahan's overseas and Tom Banks couldn't get a look in in the end. Um, he wasn't one of the fullbacks that was considered good enough to play right wing, um, which is what we're getting to now, which is Australia have only picked um, four guys that really can play on the wing and you know, one of them is questionable at best, as Adam Ashley Cooper. I don't think there's going to be too many 34-year-old wings going along to the World Cup. Um, but he's had three started wing in the last cycle. Other guys that have started there that aren't going along is Curtis Rona, Etienne Bully, Jack Maddox, who is relatively unlucky not to go along, just because I think he's the most exciting of the fullbacks uh, that can play wing. Um, Bob Horn, three caps. Falau, four on the right wing. Sefer Navalu and Henry Spate, about five and 11 each. The two um, out-and-out right wings that are still playing in Australia that potentially are quite unlucky to go along, given that the first-choice wing is likely, is likely to be shared between Hale and Petty with 24 starts and Hodge with 16. Both of whom are much more in the fullback role. They're not exactly the most explosive, exciting um, type wings. Um, they can do a job at 14, but you know they're not going you know, to terrify defences. Um, the only out and out winger in the squad is Corribetti, who's had got 21 starts on the left wing. So I think you know, if any player you can pen in and put a marker onto your team sheet, it'll be Corribetti, because they really don't have anyone else. But their lack of attacking prowess on the wings, because um, Corribetti's not exactly you know, Rico Ioni either, is probably a concern for them. You guys, yeah. you guys have any kind of comments on that? Sorry, I flew through that quite fast. We are under a little bit of time pressure now. That was good. That was good. I, I think for me, the most interesting thing is that I used to always think that Kirtley Beal was much better at playing 12. But I think that the game has changed or the systems have changed enough that I think he actually is a lot more effective at 15 these days. So in a way... Not necessarily a blessing that they can't choose Flau anymore because he would be much better at 14 than any options that they have available. But I do prefer seeing BL at 15 with Foley at 10. So I think that they're not in the worst position in the world despite giving guys like O'Connor game time only very recently. But they're looking relatively healthy. So I think from a squad, that's fair. Questions for Australia have always not been the playing talent available to them. It's much more the game plan and can they get the talented individuals to click. So I think, I mean, Australia's problem, I mean, it's really interesting looking at these infographics because you can almost read like the, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm projecting a bit, but you can almost read like the <laughs> kind of, it's like a psych, psychiatric test for the, the nation's rugby. And, this is like reinforcing what we said on the main, sorry, the side podcast a couple of weeks ago with Mitch, with Mitch, where we were talking about how um, Australia's problem is that they've got all these jack of all trades, masters of none. And this is especially true in the back line where almost none of these guys are limited to one position. So uh, Foley, Lialifano, Karevi, no, not Karevi, Foley, uh, Foley Lialifano, O'Connor, Corey Betty and Ashley Cooper are the only backline players who don't appear in more than one position. 
Foley's play got seven starts at 12. Oh, sorry. So you can You're right. Foley so, Foley, not Foley. So, <laughs> Lally, Lally Fano, yeah. And, and O'Connor's only just come no, back. No, exactly. So, and, uh, yeah, and, so, of, so and of those... Otherwise, you get... And, and of those, we're not even sure... So, Corey Betty's the only one who's actually got an out-and-out position. Ashley Cooper can play 14 or 15. <laughs> O'Connor can play, like, anywhere. And Lally Fano's, I would say, actually more of a 12 than a 10 in the first place. So, like, none of these guys are settled. Yeah, and they haven't been settled. So... And I think this is the problem. Like, Australia's got almost the reverse situation to the All Blacks, where, like I was saying, the All Blacks are stuck in a plan that they don't have the personnel for. And Australia are stuck with this personnel that they don't have a plan for. They don't know what to do with these guys. Like, none of the, you can't really say where anyone's best position is. So they just put the five best guys in the back line and hope that it works. And that's not really going to cut it. Sorry, six. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just left out Corinbetti because I, I don't count him as one of the best guys. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like it's it's, Man, it's a real go. problem. Like each one of these guys individually, I'm like, yeah, you know, he seems like the kind of guy you should have in a World Cup squad. Like, I'd like to have a Hodge in my squad, or I'd like to have a James O'Connor in my squad. I wouldn't have him in my starting fifteen, but I'd like to have him around. But then suddenly you got so many of these yeah. guys that you actually have to end up starting <laughs> some of them, and you're like, fuck, I don't know where to play this. Start, yeah. yeah. And it's I, I'm I'm genuinely worried about about it. But again, like if they can avoid yeah. injuries and actually develop a bit of rhythm through the group stages into the playoffs, like they might do okay. But all right, yeah. let me ask you guys a quick question before we round off. Then, do you think Australia will beat Wales in the group, given the squad that we've just no. discussed? And and I, I mean, okay, Australia's record against. Wales is, is well fabled and I think Australia have the team that they can do crazy things you know I mean like beating the All Blacks pumping the All Blacks two weeks ago so I, but I think it'll much more depend on the Australian mindset on the day we know what Wales are going to bring they're going to be very very well planned um, but yeah if the things click for Australia on the day they get the confidence up they can beat them but I mean if you had to put money on it you've got to put your money on Wales here um, I think, I think just just to quickly touch on what Alex was saying in terms of injuries, I think it's a blessing and a curse having this many players that can play in different positions. So, you know, if Hodge goes down, I don't mind Taylor Petter slotting in the 14. But I think the player that they least can afford to get injured is, is Karevi. I think so much of their backline go forward revolves around him. That, you know, if he goes down, then I would write off any chance of Australia being successful. As long as he's still around and playing well, then, you know, I think they can pull off wins. Can I ask a question also before we sign off? It's a really quick one. Sure. Would sure. you rather have Reese Hodge or Francois Stan? Or, or in your squad? In your squad or in your starting in line? In the squad. I would rather. I would rather. Well, rather have Hodge. Yeah. I think I'd rather have Francois Stan. Oof. Well, Hodge, I'd rather have Francois Stan at twelve, but I'd rather have Hodge at thirteen, fourteen, or fifteen. Ten? Yeah. <laughs> what about ten? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't want either of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, T- can I choose someone else? T- T- I'd have Billy at 10. Definitely Billy at 10. Like fluid players to pick a 10 rather. I'd take Beal. I'd take O'Connor at 10 ahead of Hodge. I'm just sitting here thinking Hodge is like, Hodge is basically the player we keep telling ourselves Francois Stain is. They're not too dissimilar. Now that you mentioned it. Um, I think, I think uh, 
Stan's got about 15 kilos on Hodge, which is good, 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 good for 12. He didn't, didn't used to have 15 kilos on him before he went to France. So Hodge, he's Hodge, 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 in his, Hodge in his prime, which is 20, 2019 Hodge, is is not the equivalent of 20, 2007 Francois Stan, but he is the equivalent of, 20, of 2019 Francois Stan. Not, yeah, not, not, yeah, not even close to Keek front last day. Let's leave it at that. Okay, guys. Um, now that we've been through all three squads, let's just round it up. So, Ant, what are your final remarks on the progress of these three teams and where it leads into the World Cup? Um, you know, I think surprisingly, I think Australia have got their their you know, proverbial shit together. Relatively well, actually, in the end. I think their squad's always been such a confusing mess. But I think heading into the World Cup, the last week, I think we can all kind of pencil in a first choice that we'd all be happy that that is the first choice of the players they have. Um, but I think the game plan that fits those players is not necessarily on there. Um, as we said about New Zealand, I think they had a very strong squad, a very strong vision. And through injuries of poor design, that's kind of fallen apart in the last year. Um, so they're a little bit scrambling. We came from a very different situation in that we came out of two completely wasted nothing years. But Rossi stepped in with a very, very strong plan in mind, flicked the players that he wanted. And I think, you know, if you look through those lists, kind of every one of those players has been around since the start of Rossi's um, Kenya. Like, pretty much no one's been brought in at the last minute except maybe Kwaka. Um, and so I think we are the strongest in that position in that we've got the clearest plan of what we want from our players, and our players have been together the, long, the longest playing under that um, for, for us. So that's not necessarily saying that we're the most talented or that we're going to win, but I think we're the most prepared given what we've got. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. All right, Alex. Closing uh, remarks. Yeah, I mean, I think I summed up New Zealand by saying they've they've got a game plan that are the players for Australia by saying they've got players that are a game plan for, and I think for us, um, <laughs> completely by chance, like it's it's almost like chaos theory. Um, I think I think it might all just be coming together at the right time for the spring box. Nice, um, nice, and nice. I hope that's true. So yeah, I look forward to seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just want to, I mean, I just want to finish off by saying I think that Rossi Erasmus has done quite an amazing job in the two years that he's been coached. I think it couldn't have gone too much better for him, given one or two exceptions. But um, I think it's very exciting for Springbok fans. All black fans can be a little bit worried, and Australian fans, well, you never really know. And on that, <laughs> Merch, let's say goodbye. Cheers, guys. Cheers, cheers, cheers.